your Bibles, turn to, to Romans chapter 2. We're going to start reading in verse 1. I'm going to read through the five verses. I'm reading out the ESV. That is the Bible that we teach out of here at Momentum Christian Church right now. And so if you have a Bible app, you might want to just tune up the ESV. But I want you to listen to, as I read and you follow along. It says this, Romans 2 verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse. Now, now one thing I want to bring out, because we've seen Paul actually use this word therefore a couple times. Okay, Does anybody know what therefore means? Right. Go back to the previous text. Look and see what you just read. How many of you know that God, the Holy Spirit, did not put chapters and verses in Scripture? Anybody know that? And especially those little footnotes in the bottom, those are not Holy Spirit inspired. But what they did is this. There was a group of men at one time that sat down and said, you know what, let's try to break these up. So I want you to realize that this is an ongoing thought from chapter 1. Paul is actually saying, therefore, he's saying, go back and see what was just said. So he says, therefore, you have no excuse. No excuse of what? Being involved in those things that he listed. Now, remember, he's writing this letter to a church, to a nation, to a big group of people. He says, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. And again, now think about this. Now he's saying those that judge. So he's including another group of people here. And remember, they have no excuse because God has shown himself in creation. God has shown us, as we went through chapter 1, in many different ways to people besides his revealed word. So he says, For in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. And in verse 2, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. And remember, I just want to pull this out and bring this back to your member. He says this, that the judgment of God rightly falls. Remember what I said about the judgment of God? It's pure. It's perfect. It's holy. We have to remember that. The wrath of God is perfect. It's, it's holy. It's it, there's nothing about it that's distorted because everything about God is perfect. It's righteous. It's holy. And if you see that any other way, what has happened is you've built a different God. You have made a different Jesus. And we hear that a lot in our day. Jesus, my Jesus would never do that. My Jesus would never cause an earthquake in Haiti that would kill people. And I often say this, be careful not to make up a Jesus that we don't see in the Word of God. A Jesus that has been revealed to us through the Word. Don't make up a God because, again, what you're doing is you're putting up an idol when you say things like that. When you say things like, my Jesus would never condemn someone that was a homosexual. No. We can't do that. We cannot make God's to our liking. But I'm afraid to say that that's what happens in our world today. So we see this, that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. And in verse 3, do you suppose, O oh man, you, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? And in verse 4, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and the forbearance and the patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteousness judgment will be revealed. These are pretty powerful verses here. And he's speaking this, I'm pretty sure, to his Jewish audience. Maybe the Judaizers, the, the ones that have even made their ways possibly into Rome at this time, that are spreading false teachers, that are telling these new converts that still that your base and your relationship with God is based on works and the law. And again, the law is important because the law has pointed each and every one of us to Christ. Listen, if you don't understand your depravity, you're in big trouble. 
If you came to Jesus Christ thinking that you were a good person, you better and you need to rethink what's going on in your mind. When I came to Christ at 10 years old, I've shared this with you before, but I need to remind you, I was at a place at 10 years old of thinking about taking my own life. 10 years old. That was back in 1979. And I remember the day that Jesus Christ entered my life when I made Him Lord and Savior of my life knowing that I was set free from everything, that He had pulled me from a pit at age 10. We've got to understand that there is nothing good in us except for Jesus Christ. Nothing else. I say this many times, you would not like the Dave that didn't have Jesus. You wouldn't say, oh, he's a good guy. You would be saying other things about me if I could even tolerate you. But it's Jesus that is good in me. So let's start taking apart these verses. Uh, Let's look at verse 1. It says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on to one another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. Now, one thing I want to make clear right off from the start, and I'm going to have to take some time because this is a big thing that you hear, especially in the church today. Don't judge me. If you have that tatted anywhere on your body, I don't, again, sorry, this is going to be offensive. But this is a big, big thing nowadays. How many of you have seen bumper stickers? You've You've seen tattoos? You've seen... T-shirts, you've seen uh, slogans of people saying this. You cannot judge me or don't judge me. How many of you know as Christians we are called to judge? We are called to judge. And I think about that, that idea. Are we truly supposed to judge? Yes. The Apostle Paul makes it clear that first we're supposed to judge ourselves. And again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, every time we take the Lord's Supper, we always get to those verses that always say, to judge yourself truly. How many know that sometimes to look at yourself in the mirror truly, it kind of disrupts you, kind of can get you upset at times, right? When we truly look what is under the surface. So we're to judge ourselves, but we're also to judge those that are in the church. Now, we're going we're gonna to see where God is, says this, that we're not supposed to judge those that are in the world, but God gives us discernment. And you better understand who their father is. Who are those that doesn't know the Lord, who has not been born again? Who is their father? Satan. And so we need to remember that. Now, please don't leave here and start your evangelistic outreach today by walking up to somebody and saying, do you know Jesus? And when they say no, say, you're a son of Satan. Please don't do that. Don't lead into that. Eventually, the conversation is probably going to get there. But I'm praying that the Holy Spirit leads you in a loving way. Because at one time, even when we were born, the Bible says that we were enemies with God. Each and every one of us at one point. We're enemies of God. So this verse is not saying that we're not supposed to judge, but we're supposed to judge behavior. We're supposed to analyze and look and ask for a spirit of discernment. And we're supposed to do it in a loving way. There's a right way to judge and a wrong way to judge. In Matthew 7, 1-5, this is probably one of the portions of Scripture that is mostly, grossly misused in our world today. And it says this in verse 1 in Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Judge not that you be not judged. <gasps> boy, if you're just looking at that through just our eyes, you would say, boy, I better not judge or I'll be judged. And Jesus goes on he says this. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use it, you will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. 
Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take out the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now this verse here, just to break it down real quick for you, is simply this. I should not be judging anyone, even in a rightful way, if I'm involved in the same sin. If I'm a bank robber, and I know that Jason is a bank robber, I should not go up to Jason and say, dude, stealing and robbing is bad. Would you stop it? You know what he's going to do? He's going to look at me and say, hey, I've seen you rob the bank down at the corner. I don't Listen, I don't know why I went bank robber, but I just did. He's not a bank robber, and I'm not. And you're all going back and saying, man, I remember that story he told us about the man in the mirror that robbed banks for seven years and was a pastor. I wonder if that's going on with Pastor Dave. No. If you like me having an issue with pornography and then trying to judge someone, even in a loving way, and go to them saying, hey, you've got a problem, you've got an issue. And Paul's going to deal with that in our text today. He's going to say, some of you are hypocrites because even behind the scenes, behind the mask, you are dealing with the same things. Oh, you might look moral to the world, but I know. Often said this, wasn't an amazing thing when we went through the Gospel, Mark, when Jesus knew what people were thinking or he finished sentences for them? Freaky. Jesus has not changed. How many of you know that he sees everything that you do? Everything behind closed doors. He knows what's going on. He knows what you're saying. He knows what you're seeing. He knows what you're listening to. He knows your actions, your thoughts. You know, here, Jesus, this this sermon here, Matthew 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and He is, there is those present there that are hypocrites, that are, are Pharisees, that are listening to this message. And the Greek word here for judge here is the same word that's used in John 7.24. And John 7.24 says this, Judge not according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. This word judge here is just to judge by the outward appearance. How many have ever made mistakes doing that? Hmm. Yep, I have. Many of times. Look at something and think I knew what was going on. You know where that changed in my life a lot of times is when I started counseling. Because I I got to see what was happening behind the scenes even though I didn't know what was going on. And maybe I was assuming something that I didn't know. And I would judge wrongly. And then I got to a point in my life where I said, God, give me a discernment. Let me be able to see things with your eyes. How often do we judge things by appearance? We've seen this in our world this last year and a half. News media releases something and we believe it. The virus is going to give everybody diarrhea. Couldn't find toilet paper. It was nowhere. They were ripping off the big rolls in the gas station bathrooms it was just gone and then paper towel went and napkin everything was gone i have to tell you something how many have ever heard of this blue water from bridge to bay sale that they have uh out in port heron way they have this massive garage sale and every friday me and missy we're not usually garage sale folks but we always like let's go find some treasures and i mean we end up you know we end up spending like, I bought some frying pans that were worth some money at one time. I remember I bought some old CD classics. And you find these things in my wife, I'd be like, oh, look at this. And she'd be like, yeah, really? But it's just a good time for me and her to spend. And then I always tell her, hey, if everything goes, I'm going to treat my baby right and I'll take you to McDonald's for dinner. 
I'm joking when I say things like that. Please don't beat me up. But we noticed something this last Bridge to Bay garage sale that there was a ton of adult diapers for sale. That's what I said. Oh, no. And it didn't occur to me at first. What in the world's going on? Well, then I thought back to COVID. When the toilet paper ran out, apparently people bought adult diapers because they were everywhere. And it's like, man, who's going to buy adult diapers at a garage sale anyway? And if I'm going to buy those and I don't wear them, now, okay, I'm getting back here. But how are we judging things? Again, I've been saying this through this whole year and a half, that the Bible tells us, I believe in John 17, that the Spirit will lead us in all truth. Never, ever do we have to live and walk in the Spirit like we have to now. We have to allow the Spirit of God to navigate us. We have to be in tune with the Spirit of God. We need to be in the Word of God allowing the Holy Spirit to bring the words alive that we might know how to walk in a world that seems so weird. You know, I said something last week, and I just want to set this straight too. Listen, we've said from the very beginning, if you want to wear a mask here at Momentum Christian Church, go ahead and wear a mask. And we had a little mask area over there, but we were not going to make everybody wear a mask and, and this and that because just because of we, we said we're going to love you where you're at. But how many of you know that now the times went on that there's things that have been revealed and you're saying, wow, what in the world's going on here, man? First they're telling me that this works, then they tell me it doesn't work. Now they're telling me that I've got to wear two masks, and now they're telling me it doesn't matter. Now they're saying the vaccine is, is what's going to cure everything. Now we're finding out that the vaccine is spreading this new deviant. What in the world's going on? I've got to get another booster shot. Listen, don't allow the enemy to use that. Again, go back to John 17 and pray. And God is faithful. Spirit, lead me in all truth. Lead me in all truth. How many of you know that when you pray that prayer, things just pop off the pages of the Bible at times? And you're like, wow, never seen this before. And it somehow, even though it was written thousands of years ago, somehow it speaks to right where you are today. It's because God's Word is living. It's alive. It's Holy Spirit inspired. So we see in this first verse, it talks about the idea of judging. And he's talking about those in this group, the Jewish people, Listeners, those that have not yet truly converted, or maybe they have found themselves regressing. And he's pretty much saying this. Listen, you're judging other people. What I said in chapter 1, you were sitting there applauding. Yeah, get them, Paul. Because remember, he said, therefore, go back. Yeah, get them for that sexual impurity. Let's go after those homosexuals. Let's, let's go after these people that are just horrible, rotten people. And Paul puts a stop to him and he says, wait a minute. You're making these moral judgments, but behind the scenes, you're involved in this stuff. I've preached messages before, and I preach only God's Word in the way that it is. And I've had people applaud it to only find out that they had the same hidden sin in their life. Because how many know that no sin will remain hidden? That should scare the daylights out of each and every one of us that is hiding anything behind the mask, that is hiding anything inside of us. God is faithful. Now we're going to see as we continue on that He tarries. And there's people, and there's maybe some here today, and the world thinks, hey, we've been sinning, we've been doing this all this time, and God hasn't done anything. And what happens is it brings us to the conclusion that either God's asleep or there's no God. And I can tell you, neither of those are true. The Bible says that God never slumbers. He never sleeps. He's not human like you and I. 
It says this in 1 Corinthians 5, 12-13, and I hope that this sets some of you free this morning. Because I remember when this verse jumped off the page at me and I was set free from it. It says this, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Who do you think that Paul is talking about here? Uh, If some of you that are old enough, and I'm probably dating myself, remember the movie Outsiders that you watched in high school? Or you've seen the, the play? Yeah, I see some of you that are my age saying, yeah, yep, I remember that. I can probably even tell you what some of the people were in the book. He's not talking about those. He's talking about those that are outside of the church. Non-believers. It says this, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Listen, this is a good verse to have in your pocket when you run across, especially believers or Christians that are saying, you can't judge me, don't judge me. You can take them right here to 1 Corinthians 5, 12-13. You can take them to Matthew 7 where Jesus is talking about the rightful way to judge inside the house of God. It says this, as they continue in 1 Corinthians 5, through 13, it says this, God judges those outside. Purge the evil persons from among you. Ooh. Do you mean church discipline still happens today? You mean we... we that's just mean. Listen, we still practice church discipline here at Momentum Christian Church. We do it in a loving way. We do it exactly to what Matthew 18 is. Usually it's going to a person one-on-one, and then it's going to a person with another brother or sister, and then it's that third step where we say, listen, sorry, but you've you got to go. With the idea that restoration, and we serve a God of restoration. These are things that are brought out to the light that God exposes. Again, I'm not in any way got spy cameras up at your house. I am not logged into your internet account and checking and seeing what you're seeing and what you're not. I'm not seeing how many times you pray with your wife or your children. But when God exposes things, and remember, God exposes things in our life, He corrects us. Why? Because He loves us. Because He loves us. Because He's a God of mercy. He's a God that has provided Jesus Christ that we don't have to live in bondage or behind a mask. So we are to judge. It says in John 7, 24, do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. Listen, anytime you judge by appearance, as Paul was talking about, it's wrong. It's wrong. When you look at a person and you judge them and you decide that this is the issue with them because of the way that they are, it's wrong. Paul says, don't do that. But judge with right judgment. What does that tell you? That the steps in Matthew 18 have to take place, especially the first one, where you go to that person and you say, Joe, I'm really concerned with you, brother. Man, I love you. And, but I see this going on in your life. And can I come alongside of you? Man, God wants you to turn from that and turn to Him. He's so much greater you know how many times I've taken that step and it's been a beautiful thing? It was loving. It was caring. Now, it would be totally wrong for me to say, man, Joe, and Joe used to be an elder here. He kind of still is an interim elder. He's here in Michigan. Uh, always going to be a brother in my life. And, and, and so, I, Joe, listen, he has no problems. I know I know he's got problems, but I don't know him. But, but Joe, I'm using him as, as an example. I've got to make that clear because I've, after a sermon, sometimes I hear these things back. It's like, oh, listen, I was just using them as an example. You want to go there? No. I'm just joking. I'll take you down the depravity ladder. But the thing is, is this. If I do it that way and I look at Joe and say, whew, he's got an issue. He's got a problem. An easy one for this way to happen, okay? Many of you know, because I'm a pastor, I will not touch alcohol. I've never had a drink, and I'm being honest with you. It doesn't make me any righteous. It's just that I'm supposed to be above reproach, okay? The Bible makes it clear it's not wrong to drink. It's wrong to get drunk, okay? That's where the sin is, okay? We're not legalists here. I always tell people, though, be very careful. 
be very careful. Now, I won't even buy when we cook with wine or something like that. I won't even buy it. And usually I say, just buy a little bottle of it. Because listen, I don't need one of you coming over to my home and seeing my pantry with a couple bottles of wine in there. Because I know that our hearts are driven to judge wrongfully. And you might leave my house and say, man, Pastor Dave's a boozer. I seen what I thought was wine, and you got to say that, what I thought was wine in there. You're never going to see me walk out of Kroger's with my two liter of Diet Pepsi, which is my vice, wrapped in a brown paper bag. You know why? Because somebody could see me, even one of the younger kids here, and could say, I watched Pastor Dave walk out with alcohol in a brown paper bag. That is judging wrongfully. And we have to be so careful. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 15, it says this, A spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. A spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Listen, we need to judge everything that we come across today. The news, we've learned, you cannot, when news, even though it travels, within minutes around this globe, don't trust it. You better check out the sources. You better make sure that things are the way that they are. Don't allow yourself to fall into that. Now, in verse 2, it says this. We know that judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Again, God's wrath, His judgment is perfect. It's pure. We might ask and say, and this is very confusing, when something that is happening in Afghanistan, as we speak right now, we say, why is that happening? Why would a loving God allow that to happen. We talked about this earlier. There's several different ways that God judges. God can judge us personally. He can judge a nation. He causes natural disasters to happen that brings judgment. And I've said this, the Bible makes it clear that God's ways are much higher than our ways. Some way we are not going to know. But how many know this? The Bible says that the wages of sin is what? Death. Anybody sin here in the last 24 hours? What did we deserve? Death. But it's because of Jesus Christ and what He did for us as born-again believers on the cross that we do not receive that death. It's because we've been born again, brought to life. But again, let me tell you this, Christian believer. It's fearful for me to believe or understand that how my relationship can be hindered. The Bible tells me, and this is a true statement, but it's abused often in this day and age. God has forgiven us for our past sins, our present sin, and our future sin. That is a true statement. But we are still to repent. We are still to turn from our sin and turn to God. It's a process of called sanctification that happens throughout your whole life until you take your last breath. So in verse 2, we know that the judgment of God is rightly, or it rightly falls on those who practice such things. It rightly falls on those who practice such things. So what he's saying is this, is this is rightful. These things that I've called and have brought forth, and what I told you to go back and look at, it's a righteous judgment. It's holy. And I'm glad for that because you know what? The Bible, especially I believe it's in Corinthians, in either first or second, and, and again, I'd have to go back and look, and I didn't write it in my notes. But the Bible talks about people that God is not going to allow into heaven. You know the Bible says that God's not going to allow drunkards into heaven? You know the Bible says He's not going to allow fornicators into heaven? If they don't repent. That's what's so beautiful because that scripture in that verse actually says, but so were we. 
at one time until the Lord entered into our lives. So time is not too short to repent, to turn from your sin and turn to God. But the truth of the matter is if you remain in that sin of drunkenness, if you remain in that sexual sin, God says this, I'm not, you're not going to be allowed into heaven. And you know why He says that and why He does that? It's because He loves His children. He realizes that if you allow evil into heaven, that would distort everything that heaven's supposed to be. So therefore, he says, if you're involved in these things, until you repent and turn to me, I can't let you into heaven. Some people today, some churches today, they will teach something different here. They'll tell you you can keep on living your life the way that you are in your sin. There's churches by the droves that allow fornicated people that are living together to be in their churches and, and, and continue to attend and not say anything to them out of love. God's judgment is pure, it's righteous. In verse 3 it says this, Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Now he's talking to those that are very religious here that have kept the law. They are the moralists. And this is where we really need to check our own hearts. We can look at the world right now and say, and find ourselves so mad at it, but my question is to you, behind the mask, behind the mirrors, are you involved in these things that Paul talked about in chapter 1? Because if you are, you're part of the problem. And you should not even be making moral judgments. You say, Pastor Dave, that is, that is rough. That is harsh. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. He says this, if you do this, you are, and I'm paraphrasing this, you are crazy to believe that you're going to escape the judgment of God. You are crazy. You know, Paul is making it clear to those that he's writing to here that God judges people who are practicing those sins. Therefore, go back and look at what I'm talking about. But then he directly turns it. He switches it here and he makes it clear. And what he's saying is this to the readers, to those that are moralists. How many of you know that good morals is not good enough? There's a lot of people that have good morals that don't know Christ. But see, what happens is Christ, when you put Him front and center, morals happen. Things will happen in your life. You live according to the Word of God, people will stand back and say, boy, they're moral people. I think about Mormons. How many know that? Usually Mormons are very moral people. Now, their belief system, it is a cult-based belief system, okay? Because it's something more than Jesus. But... And their wives are just awesome. Any guys out there ever seen somebody and knew somebody that was a Mormon and their wife, boy, whew, never a bad attitude, always dinner on at 5 o'clock, the house spotless, and they probably get a manicure at the end of their hard work day. You know why that is? Because in their belief system, their husband is going to determine if they make heaven or not. Move. So some of you guys are saying, well, Pastor Dave, can't you preach that here? (laughs) No. (laughs) No. That's right. I don't think so either. I don't think I'd I'd have the pastor here very clear because we have elders that understand what the Word of God says. But the thing is, is this. If you're involved in these things this morning, there is a way out, and His name is Jesus Christ. If you're involved in these things... God has made a way for you and for me to escape that judgment. But he says here, if you continue in it, listen, you are fooling yourself that you believe that you're going to escape the judgment of God. We see in verse 4, it says this, Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Now this word here, kindness, in the Greek means this, gentleness, goodness. Some of your versions might even say those words. 
instead of kindness, gentleness, goodness. It means being morally excellent. Morally excellent. So we see here that yeah, there's going to be some people that presume that on God's goodness, on His kindness. You're going to say God's always been kind. And there's nothing more true than that. In Psalms 23, verse 6, and David, I love the Psalms because David knew how to thank his God. He knew what it was meant to run to God instead of running to other things at times. But in Psalms 23, verse 6, it says this, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't know about you, but I love that psalm. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Wouldn't that be a great testimony? Isn't that a great testimony? How about Psalms 25 verse 8? Good and upright is the Lord, therefore He instructs sinners in the way. How about Psalms 145? I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous work, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour, pour forth the fame and the abundance goodness, and shall sing aloud your righteousness. That is our God. I love that portion there in Psalms 145, 1-12, because it describes who our God is. He is a good God. He's a good Father. He is a God that even in His wrath, He is good because He is perfect. He is holy. And there's some, listen, that are experienced. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're a person of religion. Maybe, again, how many of you have ever seen your neighbors and said, they don't know the Lord, but everything seems to be going right for them. Anybody ever have that thought? You don't have to raise your hand this morning, but I've had that thought. Come on, Lord, I've given my life to you. I haven't turned from what I wanted to do my life, and I've, I've pastored now for over 30 years. I can't believe the neighbor has a better flagpole than me. I can't believe they're driving a car that doesn't break down all the time. What's the deal? What's going on? Matthew 5, 44 through 45, it says this. Matthew 5, 44 through 45. But I say unto you, and I included 44 because I think it was very important. But I say unto you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who are in heaven. So here... God, Jesus is letting us know, listen, there's going to be struggles. There's going to be those that hate you. And remember why Jesus says this, because why? Because they hated me first. So that means you're really following hard after God. This right here, he's talking about the person that's pouring in, giving everything of their selves to him. He lets them know you're going to be persecuted, you're going to be hated, but love them, love them, pray for them. And then it says this in verse 45, So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. This is called common grace. And the world receives the common grace of our God just like we do. And they seem to continue to just go in their way. You know, this, this teaching right here, this verse here is very crucial. It, it shows us God's kindness. Paul is uh, addressing the verse that we're looking back in Romans 2 here. It, it, he's, he's making it clear here that we're going to be those that wonder why. 
There's some people that seem to get away with it. And then there's some people that don't. You remember growing up as a kid, you always had that brother or sister. If you had multiple brothers and sisters, it seemed like they got away with everything. Anybody here? They were pretty slick. I grew up with six in our household. And I won't name that person because they sometimes watch my sermons. But there was one person in my family that was slick, and it seemed like they always got away with it. Not me. I was the one that always got caught. And I look back at it now, and part of it is because God just, if you're watching my siblings, God just loved me. You know, David actually means beloved, right? It wasn't so cool when I was younger, teenager, but now it's just, yeah, beloved. I remind Missy of that all the time. But there's people, even in the church, that attend church every week, that believe that they could possibly be excluded from God's judgment of sin. So they continue in their lifestyle. There's many people in the world, in fact, all the people in the world that believe that maybe there is not a God or that He's sleeping because they have been doing things wrong in their whole lives and there seems to be no wrath. Paul calls this attitude in the verse that we're looking at and the verse is almost like self-righteousness. They believe that their selves and what they've done, even the moral good people, is what has caused them to have a life without strife, without chaos. But it's simply common grace. Common grace. In these verses, in verse 5, let's read it because it's going to tie this all in together. It says, But because of your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself. Everybody that believes that The wrath of God is not a real thing. Let me tell you something. Because God's Word says it. You're storing it up. And one day, the wrath of God will be unleashed. Whether it's standing before Him at the judgment seat as an unbeliever or here on earth, the wrath of God will be revealed because God is righteous. He is holy. He is a God of His Word. He is not a liar like men. And it says this, And on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Now, I want to just head back a verse or so here. In verse 4, Do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? This is where I see this in our country today, a country that was founded on God's principles, that the Word of God is preached now on the biggest venue that it ever could be, because of the internet. There's more Bibles in America than almost the whole rest of the world. I, 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 I purposely counted up how many Bibles I have. I have 15 Bibles and probably three or four Bible apps on my phone. There's a lot of them. I don't know how many you have. Uh, one of those is my daily reader. The rest of them I use a lot of times to study in. When I study, I have several of them out. We've been in a country that has been given so many blessings. That has went through a lot of hardship and it seemed like God was with us. But we're living in a day exactly right here where we just presume on the riches of God's kindness, of His forbearance and His patience. Listen, we, again, I I truly, I, I can't preach this any other. I cannot come up here and sugarcoat. I believe that our nation has been given over. I truly believe that, that what I see through the lens of Scripture, 
And it's because this is part of it is that we have just believed and we've taken advantage of God's kindness. I think about one of you, that people here that know me well. I did a series back quite a few years ago on the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah is one of my favorite books. Here you have the people of God coming back to total destruction. And they're led by a guy who is what? A cupbearer, right? A cupbearer to the king. And I hear Bob saying, oh yeah, this is my first VBS, don't worry. Listen, that was his first city that he was going to rebuild. Things are going to be okay. As long as people keep on handing each other bricks and everybody does their part. That's why I've never worried about Momentum Christian Church and been man. Because for one thing, it's, it's Jesus Christ Church. He's just given me the ability here to be the pastor and one of the stewards here and shepherds. And um, But in the book of Nehemiah, you have these people of God that come back and everything's in destruction. And God goes through and He tells them what they need to do. That they need to repent nationally. Again, I've seen just this last week people throw, I understand, listen, I understand they don't grasp that, that those verses out of Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Listen, that, that is a covenant relationship with Israel. It wasn't meant for us. But do we see God's character in that? Yep. I believe that God could still, if it was His will, do something incredible in the United States. But also, I brought this out in another teaching. The national, even here in the book of Nehemiah, their national repentance was every person had to put on sackcloth and ashes. Every person from children. Listen, do you think you could get your Muslim neighbor or coworker to pray to God Almighty? We have become so diverse. And, and again, I even say this about this church, the background of many people from this church. We have people that have come from a Pentecostal background, Lutheran background, Baptist background, a Pente- a, a, a Presbyterian background, all kinds of backgrounds here. It's like this giant melting pot. And, and I think one reason why people stay is because we, we teach just the Word of God, not our opinion. But we see here in the book of Nehemiah, and I'm going to give you this to take home and read. It would be a great read in Nehemiah chapter 9. What they do is this. They, as a group of people, declare God just how great He is. Let me just read some of it to you, okay? Just so you get the grips of it. It's in verse 5. I'm going to start halfway through. It says, Stand up, blessed be the Lord your God, from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name. And may it be exalted above all blessings and praise. You, Lord, are the only God. You created the heavens the highest heavens with all their stars and all the earth and all that is in them. Isn't it amazing that he starts off with this cry of God's creation, exactly what God brought us to in Romans chapter 1? Always. Apostle Paul did that same thing, talking to groups of people. See, God, you should be able to see Him in the creation of things. And he says this, You give life to all of them, and all the stars of heaven worship you. You, Lord, are the God who chose Abraham and brought him out of Ur and the Chaldeans and changed his name to Abram or Abraham. You found his heart faithful in your sight and made a covenant with him. And as you read, and this is just part of it, if you read through all of this, you'll see a people that are coming to a place of repentance. They recite the history of God, how he's been faithful, but towards the end of it, They say things like this, but we still killed your prophets. People you sent to speak to us, we killed them. We still served other idols. We still, and all I've got to say is this, is if you read through Nehemiah 9, and I encourage you to read through the whole thing. I just don't have time this morning. I had it all here in my notes. I'm turning those pages right now. It's such a beautiful thing. One thing that you need to realize, and I need to realize, is this. That even after this, God's forbearance, His patience, continued 
for 700 years to the northern kingdom and 800 years to the southern kingdom of Judah before he put them into captivity for good. I would encourage you today, I have in my notes here, we cannot mock or abuse God's goodness. Maybe you're here today and maybe behind the mask, behind the scene, there's things going on in your life and you, ah, God, things are going good. I've got a raise at work. I'm working more hours. Man, I'm paying all my bills. Things are good. Listen, I have dealt, and please don't take this wrongly, but I've dealt with so many people that are that way. But as soon as they can't pay the bills, man, where's God? When they don't get the raise or they take a a demotion, where's God? When somebody in their life dies, where's God? We all deserve sin and hell. But it's because of the mercy of God through His Son, Jesus Christ that we can have life and life everlasting. I would encourage you today, if you're here, or those that are listening online, to not mock or abuse God's goodness. Because as we've seen, the wrath of God is storing up. Whether you know it or not, we're all under common grace. The rain falls on all of us. The sun shines on all of us. But there will be a day where the wrath of God is released. Would, would you stand with me this morning? I want to thank you all for being faithful, going through this book of Romans again. Um, because this is, this is stuff that cuts deep, and it's a good thing. Maybe you're sitting there this morning, and the Holy Spirit is just speaking to you, and you're like, ow, ow. The Word of God rightly divides between the heart and soul of man. How many know that we need... A new, we, we've got a new spirit, but our, our soul and our heart is just bad. It's going to be at war with the new spirit that God's placed inside of us until you take your last breath. Now listen, it, it'll get less and less and less as you grow in Him, press into Him. In adversity, you'll come to the place that you understand that His will is better than yours and you don't always understand His ways. But if you're here today, and maybe you said to yourself, and listen, there's just a few things that can give you an idea if you're a religious person. Is this your only time that you connect with God Sunday morning? If it is, you're a religious person. Do you have a daily relationship with God the Father because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross? You might be a religious person. If you don't have that daily, listen, the true believer is horrified with the thought that their life and their relationship can be hindered because of sin. And it causes the true believer to quickly run to God, turn from their sin, turn to God and say, God, I need you. There used to be a song that we used to sing a long time. I need thee, oh, I need thee, every hour I need thee, past or Something uh, just like up here, I'll make up the lyrics if I keep on going. Yeah, I did that. Tim caught it this morning. I'm not a singer. Listen, we need singers. I'm just a fill-in guy right now. I, please, I'm a I'm a preacher, Pastor Shepherd. So, but but the thing is, is this: I need God not just every hour, but every second. And when I find myself sinning, separating, hindering my relationship with God the Father, it, it scares me. It horrifies me. Because I'm afraid what I might do. How many of you, I've, I've been there, how many of you ever start sinning and then you get on this thing and you're sinning and you're just getting anger and anger and you know the right thing to do but you're just so embittered in your heart? Anybody ever been there? Yeah. Praise God. The same here, Al. I, I, for 32 years, I've had that happen in my life. But now it's like, God, I need you, especially in the days that we're living in, especially with the responsibility you've given me. 
because of my family and a congregation and the people that are around me that don't know you, that responsibility weighs heavy and I need to be connected to God the Father at all times. I'm so thankful because of Christ. I can turn from God and turn, turn from my sin and turn to God immediately. And I'm forgiven. And He forgets. And He forgives. And He embraces me. And He calls me His own. And I'm able to walk in His power to do what He's called me to. So let, let's close in prayer. Listen, if God, if I can get a few prayer partners up here, if you need to come and you need to say, hey, I need prayer this morning. I need somebody to pray for me, to stand alongside of me. Maybe it's that person you've been praying with the last two weeks. Maybe you can go to them after service and say, please, can you pray with me on this? And listen, I'm just going to encourage you, as we've seen in the Word today, if you are not have victory in that same issue or that problem, have them go to someone else. Be honest about it. That, you know, can I just, the biggest thing with pornography in the church is this. This is what happens. Yeah, bro, I have this problem and so do you. Let's just embrace each other and hug it out. But you're both in bondage. There's no freedom. There's no way. Now, how can you help somebody that you're around? We've seen that in our verses today. We need men today that are delivered from that so they can help other men in the church that are just entangled. But I'm going to close in prayer. And maybe it's just that you found yourself being a religious person. Listen, there's so much more to life than trying to work out you making heaven. That's the furthest thing from my mind. You know that? I'm not concerned about making heaven. I'm concerned with my relationship with Christ. He's the prize, Scripture tells us. Heaven's not the prize, folks. Christ is the prize. Heaven's just the benefit. So, Father, we come to you today. More than ever, we proclaim that we need you. Lord, I need you. And God, as we have went through your word, as we've looked at these verses, Romans 2, 1 through 5, Lord, if we are hiding behind the mirrors, if we're hiding behind the mask, is that word hypocrite? That's what it means. It means to actually put on a mask and hide behind it. God, let us come out today. Let us say there's no more hiding. Cause us, Lord, to say, I need you, and I turn from my sin, and I turn to you. And if there's those that are here today that they find themselves as religious people to where this is their connection, God, cause them, Lord, to realize that there's so much more. The verses that the Apostle Paul gives us throughout the epistles, he tells us many times that Christ is in us, and we are in Christ. And if that's true, we are one. We are one. And so, Father, I just ask, Lord, cause us, Lord, to walk in the Spirit. Cause us, Lord, to call out the Holy Spirit, the helper that you've given us, that resides in us. We thank you for Jesus Christ and the sacrifice. We thank you for his intercession, even for us now. Think about that congregation. Right now, Jesus is praying for you. He's interceding on your behalf. The Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, is interceding on your behalf. We're going to make it. We surrender our will to His. So, Father, I just thank You, Lord, for each one that's here. Lord, I ask that You keep Your hand on them, Lord. I pray for all those that are going to be involved in VBS. God, I just ask, Lord, You just cause the children, Lord, to put You... Uh, in their rightful place, Lord. Cause them, Lord, to, to see that you are the prize. Lord, cause us, Lord, to see that you are the prize. So, Father, we just thank you today. Go with us, Lord. Cause us, Lord, not to miss the opportunities, Lord, that you place in front of us all the time. Lord, give us your eyes to see. And, God, I pray, Lord, that you keep us safe. Lord, I want to pray also, Lord, for our Christian brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. 
this morning, God. I pray, Lord, that you cause them, Lord, to be bold. Lord, give them courage. Lord, for those that you want to save, Lord, according to your will, Lord, we ask, Lord, you bring them to safety. And those, Lord, that you choose to have that martyr's crown, Lord, as they enter into the kingdom of God, let it be by the cheers of the saints. God, we pray for them. Cause us, Lord, not to forget them. We just thank you and we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.